Story of. The story of connects a successful entrepreneur to startups and entrepreneurs to engage and energize them and cultivate the Marion entrepreneurial ecosystem. The journey our featured guests will share through their experiences and perspective of what it takes to start and grow a business will provide the attendees with inspiration and lessons to apply to their future or ongoing entrepreneurial quest. And today our guests are are Joe and Eric Schmidt from Rapids Wholesale Food Service Equipment and Supplies. They are your one-stop shop for all things food-related. If you've served food, they've got you from the full lineup of commercial cooking equipment and refrigeration products to the plates and tables you serve your culinary masterpieces on. They've got it. Um, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Eric, for being here today. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to, to dive into uh, the story of Rapids here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Um, so maybe just to kick us off, let's provide just a brief overview of, of kind of Rapids Wholesale. I know I talked a little bit about some of the things you guys do, but uh, just give us give us uh, you know who you are and, and kind of the things uh, that you guys do for for your customers. Sure. Well, the uh, the company was started in uh, 1936 by Harry Ribble. Uh, he was a right after coming out of Prohibition, uh, he had been national sales manager for Pabst Brewing Company. And after Prohibition, they uh, changed the format of how you could deliver beer. They separated the beer production from the beer delivery systems. And so he saw an opportunity uh, to, he patented the first direct draw uh, system and kind of started with that as his, his business model. 1939, they began doing direct marketing, uh, mailing catalogs all over the country to bars and beer wholesalers and so on who would buy the product. And they grew the business uh, using that model for several years. They manufactured over the years back bars, walk-in coolers, uh, beer coolers of all sorts. And so the business, we're actually like the third and fourth generation, if you will, of a family business. We're not related to them at all, but we've kept that family business uh, mindset uh, as we've developed it. So my partner and his wife, Joe and Diane Dodds, and my wife, Jerry, and I bought the company in 1992. Um, it was downtown Cedar Rapids in Kingston Village is what it's, I think it's called now. Probably was called then, but I, we didn't call it that. But uh, grew, the, grew out of that location, moved to Marion, I think it was in uh, 2000 or 1998 or 2000 um, and loved the community, uh, gave us a chance to, you know, plant some new roots, uh, have a nice facility and, you know, the community here. All the t- after we bought it, we recognized that the model they had been utilizing was not going to con- give us the opportunity to grow. Uh, and we, we had zero outside salespeople when we bought the company. It was all still direct marketing driven, people would fax in orders and call us and all that stuff. And we, it was, it was crazy when I look back at it. Um, we probably had 20 employees at the time, uh, grew the business, started to uh, add outside salespeople and, and the services for design probably in 1996, 97. Uh, and, and the models kind of began to diverge a little bit we still maintained the catalog presence. We started to develop a website. We had designers we had hired um, and continued to try to grow and evolve. We tried to get in, with, in the, the chain segment. Uh, we created a, a business model for uh, facility management services that uh, called Chain Restaurant Solutions. 
that evolved over a period of about 12 years, I think. And we finally, we closed that piece of our business down. We couldn't, we didn't have the critical infrastructure to be able to grow that piece of the business and made the decision it was probably gonna cost us a million or a million and a half bucks to make it viable. And we, you know, and some of this came through the transition between, you know, our family and to Eric's group, you know, buying the company, just look, reassessing our entire business and saying, what are we doing here? Figured out that one wasn't gonna be a fit for us long-term, so we shut the operation down. Uh, and have gone through that transition. Uh, where Jerry and I still own a part of the company. Uh, and Eric's looking to purchase that uh, over the next few years. So, yeah, that's been our that's our track record, if you will. Right, right. So, you know, you talk about starting to assess the business, even even as early on as when you were doing just direct marketing, right? So, I guess that initial vision. I mean, maybe talk about how how you guys, you know, uh, continued to to realize, hey, we need to grow. This is the path to grow. I mean, how did how did you guys come up with with kind of what that vision looked like? Well, wasn't it you? You can talk about Vets Memorial because that was the first time you really got into <clears throat> contract work, which is a big yeah. difference for us and some of the dealers too that you had talked to. Yeah. So when Vets Memorial was being rebuilt, when they put the new stadium in, yep. Um, we we had gotten involved with you know Fred Timko was involved and uh, Jack Rader and all those guys and we started to work with them on some of the design concepts which we had honestly we really didn't have a damn clue what we were talking right. about <laughs> uh, but we we faked it till we made it and and you know and we realized you know you you, you kind of learn a heck of a lot as you go through some of these phases and there was a lot of involvement by honestly myself and Joe Dodds uh, to get that thing to come together. It was a, it was a large project for us. Um, and we, we realized that the opportunities for us on large project-based business like that were a heck of a lot better for us. Long, or, or we could handle them long-term and it would be a viable uh, spot for us to go. Shortly after that, we purchased a company that was in heavy in design out of Minneapolis. Uh, and that kind of really kicked off our, the design side of our business. So kind of taking that from like a almost like transactionary, like one-time transaction to more so creating that long-term customer. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah, that makes sense. I, I love that. As far as like navigating the early challenges of taking that on, I mean, you mentioned, yeah, we don't really know what we're doing, right? But I mean, how how do you guys? Obviously, you, you learn as you grow, but I mean, how do you guys continue to navigate those those challenges of jumping into a new new service, new industry, new new kind of? Uh, uh, we I mean just. Honestly, we we figured out we needed to hire or purchase a yep. someone who was really a sophisticated designer, and they could. We used a consultant on the first one under our flag name, and uh, and, it, and it worked out well for us. But we recognized that the opportunity was there for us to try to either hire somebody who was understood that piece of the business, or we made the choice to buy a company. Uh, in Minneapolis that had that skill set already uh, in line. There you go, right? It's uh, surrounding yourself with good people, right? I mean, yeah. that's I know that's just knowing Eric as, as well as I do. Just I know that's kind of a big philosophy for you guys. Um, I mean, maybe just talk talk about that as part of that family-owned business and obviously understanding working working smarter, not harder, right? And yeah, maybe Eric can, can jump yeah. into well, that. Well, and I, and I think it's, you know, we, we talked about what are the things you do to get ready and successful and how do you go from doing just direct mail to now hey you want to do contract work 
And I mean, it is ironic that our, you know, go back to the start of the business. Well, Harry Ribble, he was in beer, right? So he was in beer. He knew that's what he wanted to do. That's what he wanted to be. But Joe Schmidt and Joe Dodds were a project engineer from Alcoa and a CPA who was working at a bank. And they said, hey, let's go get a restaurant equipment supplies <laughs> dealership in, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. So I think that's always been, I think, it built into the 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 DNA of the business is, right. is people who we, we figure out what we need to do when the opportunity presents itself. And I think if you get good, good people that can help you get there, you can figure out a lot of those things because that was, yeah, that's a, an interesting start to a business. Like I said, Harry, Harry Ribble, he, he knew exactly what he wanted to get into. The Dodds and Schmitz, when they got in, they just knew, hey, we can build a business. It's got a great reputation. The right. brand was very strong. They were what, one of six major direct yeah. supplies providers yeah. in the country at the time uh, and a catalog business uh, and most of the others are all gobbled up and gone you know they got right. absorbed by US foods or they absorbed by other ma massive companies so for us to still be privately held it's pretty unique too for sure um, in that perspective yeah yeah um, and you know you, you kind of speak of those those family values right mm -hmm. um, I mean how as far as the success, the identity, I, I mean, I know that's a big part of, mm -hmm. of who Rapids is. I mean, speak to that a little bit as, as far as, you know, inheriting the company um, you guys did or buying the company you guys did. And then as it's transitioned in, into new leadership, I mean, it seems to me that that's been the consistency of, of what you guys have always had is, is that um, those values that, that have created this this success for, for the company and, and the identity of, of who you guys are. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think? Well, I you know, when we bought the company, we I was... I think 32 years old. We had four kids. We just moved from Dubuque. We had a brand new baby. My wife was ready to kill me because <laughs> what the hell was I kind of convinced her down the path to say, I think I can maybe do this remote from Dubuque for a while, and that wasn't going to work. I, I kind of knew that. Um, but we, when we bought the company, we had young families, and we had employees with young families, and started to figure out, you know, so culturally, we, we really cared about the folks that we had on board. We recognized when they had issues to deal with, people, you know, young ones to take care of. Very accommodating, tried to deal with that uh, as we would wa have wanted it to be dealt with. Mm -hmm. um, and it, that's kind of continues to be our model and what we try to do is we create a real close-knit kind of family environment. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that still goes you know, to, to today, is that's the feel you get is we have, I mean, even within our business, when you talk about family, we've got, Three father son duos in the business? Yeah. Me, you, two of our service technicians, and now a father son down in our St. branch Louis, in St. Louis yeah. that we've got. Um, and I think it speaks volumes that people want their kids to come work. You know, they think enough of the business to say, hey, I'd like you to come be a part of this too. I think right. you could you could enjoy what you're gonna get out of this. So that family that family connection and, and trying to be to a point, yes, you know, we're a business, right? We have to be a going concern and we have to continue succeeding, but also not being so focused on that that you forget that it is about the people that work inside the business too. So that's always been there. It's an element of fun that we have to, we get our holiday party today, which we typically have a lot of fun with and people who get into it. So um, I think bringing that, that feel of, yes, just like in family, there's, there's a lot of work that has to be done as a family to get stuff done and make sure things are taken care of, but you also have to have time to enjoy the moments you have with the people that you're around. So, of course, of course. And yeah. speaking of your holiday party, I'm hoping to see a, a, a post on social media of you and your new uh, Christmas sweater, I think we were talking about yesterday. Yes, so ho yes. hopefully we'll see that later Thanks, on. Walmart. So, yes, Thanks, yes, Walmart. Yes, shout out. Try to keep that under wraps. There you go. Yes. 
Love it, love it. I have a new one I'm breaking out today. <laughs> okay, Joe. Don't, don't, can't can't forget about Joe's sweater. Right. All right. Well, sure, we'll see a, we'll see a picture of you guys together. Then I hope. Yes, right. Yes, right. Oh, yes. I love it. Love it. Well, you. I mean, obviously, the the generational kind of transition, and maybe Eric talk about kind of what um, the vision from your eyes as a as a son growing up and, and seeing your dad continue to to grow this company and, yeah. and create this opportunity. And then kind of your path of kind of where you went and then kind of how you came back of uh, and, and into the company and for sure. kind of how you, you realize, you know what, this this is the type of organization I want to be a part of. For sure. So I, I went to school I, when I when I left Cedar Rapids and I think I told my dad this. I was like, you know, the Rapids seems great, but I wanted to go do he, he had talked a lot about the value of understanding cash flow to business and be you know in finance be an accountant get that stuff down because if you don't know how cash flow works you will not you'll run a business straight in the ground because revenue does not equal cash flow so you yep. need to you need to understand it so i left them thinking okay i'm going to take that lesson though i'm going to go apply it to international finance and i'm going to live in europe and watch soccer every day which was my passion i thought i'll combine both of them and there I'll you go live this dream um so i went up to the twin cities i, I wanted to to move away try somewhere different moved to the twin cities um and went to university of st thomas up there and uh was in finance degree and and started working up there for a company called honeywell uh and and it was good and my finance degree served me well i wanted to be you know, involved in much more than I was, but hey, it's entry level, right? What you all, you all, when you're in college, you're dreaming of yourself being like an investment banker and like closing <laughs> massive M and A deals. Of course, and then they stick you in a cubicle <laughs> and they say, "Finish this tax filing and uh, make sure it's done by January 1st." So, I mean, that was that was my job, but it was fun and I learned a lot out of it. But he had also, my dad had also, you know, told all of my siblings, uh, three, well, two of whom my brother and I are directly involved, and then. I have a brother-in-law that's involved in the business as well. Uh, but he had been very clear to us, like, hey, you can't come back and work at our business right out of college. You gotta go try something different and just see what what you may wanna get out of your experience. So I went and worked out of college, like I said, Honeywell, and then I worked for an oil and gas company for a few years, and then thought, you know what, I am working insanely hard. I was still I was working 70, 80 hour weeks for this oil and gas business, which was great, and, and the money was good, but right. But I had a brand new daughter and I thought, this is nuts. Like, I don't even own this thing and I'm working this hard. And I thought, okay, well, if I'm gonna work hard, I think I do have interest in coming back. And, and it was always fun talking with them about, hey, what challenges are we facing? What things are you guys working on? And so I made a choice to say, hey, if I, if I do come back, I would like to be able to, to buy the business, you know? And I, right. I, I've been fortunate enough where I got in a position where I had some means to do that. It still required a heck of a lot of help from from them and, and banks and everybody else to get the thing done. But when it, when I came back, it was all about saying, I just want to learn. I mean, I went from being a, effectively a controller of this oil and gas business to being a project coordinator on our on our team, right. which is a super critical role for us. But it's you're doing a lot of day to day tasks, and and it was good that I learned that and I had a chance because I had a chance to grow through the company. So right. vision long term, what it meant was when it came time for I was in the business for probably five years before we got into trying to say, okay, what is retirement? He always had a very good idea of, hey, I have a plan. I'm retiring at 62 or quasi retiring. I want to be out of the day to day by age 62, and he right. had that was a number that always got talked about of wanting to do that. And we thought, how do we get it done? Mm -hmm. And so that vision kind of ended up in us, you know, pursuing this EOS process to say, okay, we use it now as a strategic plan 
to say, where do we want to be? And it helped us paint that picture, you know, three years ago to start getting the business prepared for the people we would need to make this thing function without Joe and Joe. He mentioned, you know, they, they went out and did a lot of the work in the field for Vets Memorial. I mean, they did a lot of everything. Right. There's still things to, to this day. I mean, it, there's things this week. I'm like, wait, what did you do? Like, I know you did this now because <clears throat> that popped out of nowhere and no one says they were responsible for it. So the vision long term, though, is to say, you know, take that, that same mentality, that family mentality, the hard work, do everything we can for our clients. We our missions deliver excellence for every one of our clients um, to take that though and put a little more formal guardrails on the thing mm -hmm. so that we can grow it sustainably uh, for a long time down the road right right no I, I love that Eric and, and thanks for that background I think that's important for for all of us to kind of understand how, how kind of you you went out did, did your thing came back here and that um, it's you guys have been better for it for sure um, not not just rapids but I think you and your family too right having, yeah. having a little better balance mm -hmm. um, can we as far as you know that transition itself I mean specific opportunities that came up maybe from from your viewpoint or maybe as as you know Joe knowing that hey this this is this is my age and I, mm -hmm. I want to get to that point. I mean, was was there specific opportunities that that you you guys either saw right away that that would be helpful as as far as the transition went, or maybe on the other side, specific challenges that that came up throughout the process that that come to mind for you? Uh, so uh, probably four years before Eric uh, made the choice to come back to uh, Rapids, there was a venture capital group out of Canada that we went through due diligence with, spent gobs of time and effort and energy and thought we had a deal and I, I couldn't believe they were going to pay us what they said they were going to pay us and I'm like hell we should just take this Joe and we're going to run go do something else I don't know we'll figure it out right well fast forward about uh, a month ahead of closing I'm driving home from work one night and I get a call from the gentleman who'd been in and he said yeah we met with uh, Mr. Pattison and this is Jim Pattison, Google it. He's kind of like a Warren Buffett in Canada. Uh, he owns crazy companies, cash flow-based companies, very, very successful investor. They were getting ready to close. They were doing the final review with him, and he killed it. And I was, I was, I'd pulled my car over in front of Menards on Highway 100, and I was swearing and cussing and <laughs> everything. And I'm, and that that was really part of the. Mo After that happened, I just said, you know what? we need to figure out how we're getting out of here right uh, whether it was a family transition or a strategic partnership uh and uh, you know eric about the same time had gotten to that point where he was in his career and he said look i am i think i'm ready to do something different so it all worked out well but man it was it, it sucked when i thought i had a real big payday coming. right <laughs> Now I'm trying to sell it to him, and that's not quite the payday. <laughs> I'm not Jim But maybe speak to that of um, kind of what you what you learned, right? I mean, we you know at, at Medco, that's that's a, been a big effort of ours as, as we continue to get out with our locally owned um, organizations here in Marion and, and having that succession planning conversation. Um, maybe that that realization of you know being able to create more of that. That legacy, that locally owned, um, you know, it's kind of that 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 transition that helped uh, helped you realize that that was the way to go. Well, I, I mean, I think part of it was, uh, you know, the timing worked out very well. 
that Eric was there willing and ready to commit, commit to come back. And early on when we, he first joined us, I said, you know, he was in Minneapolis, wife, I think yeah, two, two children at the time. And I just said, you know, don't move back right away. Stay there. Figure out if you even like this business. Because if you don't and move your wife here, she'll kill me. <laughs> and so we went through a very deliberate process and we had good conversations with uh, my Joe and Diane Dodds about saying this is kind of a vision and they were they're about the same age or maybe a year younger than uh, I am uh, but so our timelines were lined up pretty well uh, in addition to all the other things and I had a clear picture in my mind of when I really wanted I'd be done done you know like two years ago and I'm kind of there I'm, I'm, I'm in a great spot uh, but I think the the realization uh, and partially fueled by Eric at one point telling Joe and I uh, it was about time for us to fish or cut bait because if he if he couldn't start buying the company he was going to go find something else to do and I, I looked at Joe and I'm like we we got to get this done right because you look at it and it's, it was a great opportunity Eric had worked for us probably four or five mm -hmm. years at that point and everybody's comfortable with it it was just getting to the point to have you know, either somebody to consult, you know, your tax folks, your your attorneys, business consultants on transition planning to help structure it right. I mean, we spent hours and hours and hours on the structure of the transaction to try to make it work as tax advantaged as we could for Joe and Diane and eventually Jerry and I and for Eric on the on the buy side. So took a lot of time, a lot of planning, a lot of, you know, meetings, but uh, I feel like we end, ended up in a pretty fortunate spot. Mm -hmm. Right. And it takes, I mean, it, I think it takes out of it, you know, for most folks, it takes that mentality. One, we're pretty fortunate because honestly, you have a lot of partnerships and businesses that it does not work well on a transition. Right. It takes willing parties and, and a bigger vision of the, of the whole deal because a deal could crumble over really what ends up being a trivial sum of money in the grand scheme of things, right? Um, but there's a lot of credit to my, my both my aunt and my uncle uh, and, and my mom and dad who said, hey, we're going to work together. Difficult conversations that have to be had, yeah. but everybody coming with the same view of like, hey, we, we've got to get this thing completed because in the end, it'll ultimately, it's a more assured cash flow stream. They still get to be involved in the business. They get to see the financials intimately. They know right. they can trust in what's happening. Yes, there's not a single payout, but it also enables them to work to a point where they're, you know, into 65, 66, 60, you know, whatever point they want and still have some involvement in it. But the one thing that I think is important as you talk about, hey, what are opportunities that are out there? Is start learning earlier about what your exit strategy options even are. Right. I think if, if we get, I mean, we don't really think about it was, it was probably eight years of talking about exit strategy options and, and what do they want to do and what would the format look like? Understand the value of what your business really is and what the asset's worth. Because some people you get into transactions with and they're like, this is just what I want. No no value established. No one does any you know due diligence on why they think that's there. They just want blue sky and to make money and go. Right. But I think for more for businesses to look at what the there's plenty right there's ESOPs that are out there that are great ways to get people invested into their their companies. There's family transitions. There's all kinds. But I just think the fail the fail point of most is that you fail to look early enough yes. at what your options are. Yep. Um, we were fortunate that we stumbled our way through it and we had good you know resources to tap into because um, we had started with uh, Steve Hammes 
was the first one we talked with and he just said, I remember he first looked at me and he's like, so you're really sure you want to get involved in a restaurant equipment supplies business? Because <laughs> the return on this I don't think is going to be what you think it's going to be. Um, but he helped us figure out some ideas and iterations of how to make it work. So the opportunity I'd tell anybody who's in that mentality of either whether you want to buy something or whether you want to sell something, a lot of times on the sell side, find opportunities to talk to people more knowledgeable about exit strategies than you are. Right. Because most wait until it's the very end. And then yes. your only option is whatever presents itself at that moment in time. If you're thinking about it earlier, then you're savvier about the decisions you got to make no, when it comes time to, to make that decision on what you want to do. Right. No, 100%, right? It takes, it takes time to put those steps in place to, mm -hmm. to make things happen. Mm -hmm. And just to piggyback on that and, and back to kind of Joe's perspective of that, I mean, what... You know, being being a long time locally owned uh, business owner here, and, and obviously seeing the, the transition and the success of, of kind of how you guys have have formulated all this. I mean, what would be kind of your advice for our other um, anyone listening today that that maybe is starting to think about? You know what? I'm I'm getting close to that that 62 age number, right? That that I'm gonna have to start you know putting some things into place. You know, is there you know, is it kind of what, what Eric mentioned as far as the timing of things? I mean, I'm just curious as far as, as, you've, as you've gone through this, what, what your piece of advice is. Well, uh, <laughs> don't say you're going to retire in five years because five years keeps moving down the road every year, one year, right? Yep, yep. So, and I, I did that for a lot of years. And, and Joe and I would talk about it. Let's, let's be down here in 10 years. Well, pretty soon that that 10 years when we started the discussion had become 15 and maybe 18 and mm -hmm. so you know put your stake in the sand and say I'm going to do it in 2022 and that's when I'm getting my hind end out of here so I can move on and do something else um, the, you know the and the other thing is as Eric said and I just talked I was just had breakfast with my uh, brother who is a partner of Steve Hammes in this little consulting gig but I said how many people that you talk to about business transition Talk to you about it five years ahead of time. He's like, Joe, 90% of them come to me when it's too late. Right. He said, they, they've they either milked the business for all it's worth, they've been losing money for five years, and it's still a pain in the rear to run it, but they're just not making money anymore. Right. But they still have this vision in their head that somebody's going to pay them a cash flow market rate that was probably viable 10 years ago. Right. But today the business has no value. I mean, it has no value. And, you know, so look ahead, find somebody who can help you. And, and you know, uh, Steve did a great job of just being brutally blunt and candid. Yep. Now, if, if you said to him, Steve, how much is my business worth? And it was worth nothing. He would tell you it's worth nothing. Like right. he, and he wouldn't tell you, well, if you depends how you look at it. And I was, he'd just tell you, it's not worth anything. Mm -hmm. And a lot of their conversations get moving or die based on that. 10 minute conversation after he looks at you know financials he's he's a retired partner from rsm is sharp guy mm -hmm. so yeah Soon to the put a date out there yep. start talking about it create a little plan or a pathway that you have in your head and mm -hmm. find the right people to consult your way through it mm -hmm. right no i think that's great advice mm -hmm. uh, and you know enough of enough of us three talking real quick i we've got an active audience here for our story of Rapids, I want to open it up to, to the group here, see if there's any questions, comments um, in regarding to some things we've heard or anything else that, um, that's still, on the mind. We've still got you with us. Yes. You're sticking yes. with us. Sticking with us. <laughs> yes. Yep. So I'm curious how, how you've developed as a leader. So you, you had the financial background. Yep. That doesn't always translate to leadership. No. So 
No. Don't uh, that, I'm not. I'm not a great leader. No. <laughs> no. Um, I, I think you know. So leadership, you can read like a million books on leadership, right? And, and I do. That's one of the things I'd always recommend as, as leaders. Like, look, just just read. And and I think the biggest thing about being a leader, and I've, I've played sports my whole life, and I still, and maybe Mackenzie's back there. She'll probably hear me say this and be like, dude, you talk about sports analogies for <laughs> leadership way too much. But I think it's easy because a lot of folks get into it. I think I always thought about it as I was, I was a captain for the teams I played on. So that that you're not the coach right you're not the coach setting the tactics but you were a leader you did the work alongside the people that you were you were out there on the field with and so to me that that leadership where it was the that humble leadership approach of saying look yes i'm your leader i'm going to control things when things get a little bit messy here um but i'm in it with you is is the approach that myself and you know joe schmidt and joe dodds and most of the people in our company live is they will be in the trenches with you doing that work and i and if it's somebody just you don't want to be a leader that's just sitting up on a hill and, and shouting down commands. It is important that you lift above it because if you get down in the nitty gritty too often, there's no chance to set a vision mm-hmm. and to point the company where you need it to go. Um, but I'd say my leadership style is much more along the lines of maybe to a fault. We do, we do a, a, an assessment too, and again, Mackenzie was part of this, but we do a thing where we challenge each of our people. We sit at a table at our annual and you do one thing I want you to start or stop doing. And out of that, you make a commitment for the next year, what you want to do. And being decisive is mine for this year. Being more decisive with my decision. You say, well, hey, you're a leader. Why do you have to be more decisive? We all have stuff we have to work on. Right. And I think at points, paralysis by analysis becomes a real challenge for anybody. You want all of the inputs you can possibly get. What he's very good at is taking limited information and making very quick decisions. I like to gather a bunch of information and say, okay, let's be more methodical about the way we do it. We each have our different ways, but it affords being a leader that welcomes that input too is critical. So that overall, I'd say, Ben, to answer your your question is that humble leadership to say, I'm not better than the people. I'm simply a, a person who puts a team together of great people. And if they're truly great, they should be able to tell me what I could do better as well for them to assist them. Hopefully that's a solid answer. Absolutely. Thanks for the question. No, that was, <laughs> I think that was great. Any issues coming up you know, post-COVID, employer, um, employees, you know, staffing issues or supply chain? You know, those were a lot, talked a lot about during mm-hmm. COVID. Are you seeing that changing here in 2023, 24? I, I think so. I mean, as far as employees, supply chain's gone back to about normal. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's, there's much of an issue with supply chain anymore. <clears throat> the one last piece, if anyone's, I don't know, we have, general, we have at least one general contract, but if anyone's involved in putting buildings together, it's, it's hard to actually get large refrigeration systems together still. There's something going on with, with these heat exchangers that have to go into HVAC units that's still got long lead times, but that's like the last thing that's out there. I think as far as employment goes, it, there's been a change. I think we're all shift adjusting to that. Mm-hmm. Is what is hybrid? What does flexibility look like? How do you hold the cat? We're all still contending with. It. I think the stressors we all feel in our lives are because we took ten years worth of progression and jammed it into like one, and we're still trying to figure out right. how we get through that. But I think as far as employment goes and, and supply chain, it feels pretty stable. Um, we only got most manufacturers told us this year one time that there's a price increase, which was a godsend compared to the last two. Um, and our warehouse staff is grateful because we're also not storing a two year and a half worth of product in, in our warehouses. Pardon my language, but that's that was the biggest challenge we had. So it's nice to have to concern ourselves with other things. I think that's kind of where we're at though now. Yeah. 
Yeah. What's your number? You just bought this business. <laughs> What's my number? What's oh, see, number? that's a great question. No, I have not. I am way behind. <laughs> and thank you, I, thank you from another guy running an EOS business who knows that I should probably know what that is. I was actually worried that someone was going to ask me that question. What would yours be That's if somebody funny. came and asked you? But there is a piece of that where you know I was listening to. There's a, good, a really good podcast um, by a guy named Ryan Tansom. It's called Intentional Growth. If, if anyone wants to know about, hey, what do you, what do you do to set a number? He's also a guy who believes heavily in the EOS process and, and companies using that to set values and target valuations where they want to be. I don't know what my value is right now. I will ask, what's yours? <laughs> Mine? Yeah. Uh, it's about seven and a half years from now. Okay. Yeah. So, but I've been on it for Good. about five. Okay. So. Good. Yeah. But my business that. partner's not on the same number. <laughs> <laughs> I had to twist my partner's arm a little bit, yeah. but we worked it through. I mean, the, you know, for us, honestly, one of the biggest bigger issues was just saying man, we want to have health insurance available till we're sixty-five. So we, yep. yeah, we worked our way through it, and that became part of the number and the way to get to that number uh, was that, and as. It's worked out pretty well. He considered being a barista at Starbucks for the health insurance <laughs> for a minute because they've got outstanding health insurance for baristas. My tips would not <laughs> Cursing at the espresso maker. Oh, funny. Good question. Individuals have issues working with family, mm -hmm. parents. Talk to us about what you learned, how it's been successful, and, and what advice you would have for well, others. Why don't you start? Because you, you bought into a business 50-50 with family, your wife's, your wife's brother. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't be a. That, that's a great question. Don't be a fifty-fifty partner with anybody, mm -hmm. and I and I I mean that is hard. It causes uh, way too much angst. Uh, my mother-in-law told my wife that it would be tough, and it was tougher than she thought. And my counsel to Eric as he was going through this was, don't have a fifty-fifty. Make a fifty-one forty-nine if you have to. But don't make it equal. There's nothing equal about it, uh, and you have to have uh, the the realization. That it's it's just very difficult. I don't know what. You <laughs> no, it's true. I, I think so. I have, like I mentioned, I do have. So not just my dad and my mom. My my mom's our HR manager, which is amazing. So I get my mom to tell me what I've <laughs> what I've got to do. We did. She she's also on the same path in time as my as my dad though. So we do have a new HR director that's in and doing an amazing job helping her out, transition some of that stuff. But I also have my brother in the business. Uh, I have my brother-in-law, which means my sister is defective <laughs> de facto in the business. Um, getting it, it's you know I will say we we do a very good job of working our best to keep work and uh, and personal very separate. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it does. It, it comes together no matter what you want. And there are challenging times. There's, there's, there's been a series of times where it's just like, man, if, if you weren't a sibling in this business, this would be a lot different. I'm fortunate that the people that are in the business that are family, though, are very motivated. They care a lot. They drive hard. They, they're big parts of our business. Um, but I think too for the rest of the for the rest of the there's a lot of pros to being a family-owned business. A lot to what you mentioned, which is we get that family is a priority, and we want people to prioritize their families because we know that if their family's suffering, they're likely suffering in the workplace, right. um, and it reflects on the work that they're doing. However, there's also you know the flip side of that, which is you know we need our employees to believe too that there's opportunities to grow and to become better and 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 take on ownership and take on positions of importance so i think you know jared your question is there's there's so many 
there's probably a lot of cons I'd say if this wasn't a family-owned business. You know, because there's, quite frankly, there's stuff that we're willing to do at weird hours of the day and things that just have to get done that it's a lot easier when you're like, just go do it. And right. you know that because I'm the son, I'm gonna go just do it, right? I'm going to make it happen. There's also cons to that piece of it, but um, I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to watch, even though it was very difficult, I, I remember talking to um, an attorney that had helped us with the, the sale that was finalized last summer. and. They said to me, I can count on my hand the number of times that a deal like that between family members has actually come out okay. He's like, no joke, like five that have come out okay. Usually it ends up in litigation, people suing each other, stating you know, they falsified something or they've done something wrong. So I would say that we're an anomaly in that sense that there were very difficult conversations, but everybody had, again, a, a greater belief in what was gonna come of this all. Um, family business is tough. But so is every business. Right. It's yeah. just its own unique set of challenges that come with it. Right. And I, I think just, you know, we, we're talking about, you know, the impact on em employees. And, I mean, you're, you got to retain your employees every day. Mm -hmm. And the way you, you speak about, you know, treating them like family, right, mm -hmm. making sure that they're taking care of their home life. Because, mm -hmm. like you said, I mean, that, that truly affects things mm -hmm. um, more, than, more than ever, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's just the world we live in now. And then you throw in the fact that you got – Folks working here and there, right? On, on top of that, so it's it's definitely a, a new world. So I, I definitely commend that that answer because I, I think that's um, I mean that's the attitude we got to mm -hmm. have, right? As far as making sure we're treating people like people first, and, and making sure they're um, they're able to do their best when when they're at work, right? So For sure. Um, no, I love that. Any any others from from the group? I think we've had some good questions. I know we're getting close to time, so I want to respect everyone's time too. But um, give Kyle. give yeah. Yeah, I've heard the story before, but if you see the assessor's website, or if you go to like Google Maps, you can see kind of your building and the building kind of to the south of that just got hammered by the derecho and it's still up there. Can you mm -hmm. kind of walk through how you guys recovered yeah. from the derecho and um, how you did that during a pandemic? That was fun. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, the day it happened, it was, well, we all re kind of remember where we were at and what we were doing, right? And I remember getting back from lunch and I, was looking out my window and I just see this black cloud out there and I'm like holy hell no there was nothing in the forecast I mean maybe just a little bit of rain or something but nothing like what happened and um, anyway uh, we were in the building and all of a sudden the roof started just heaving it's a you know it's a standing seam roof ceiling tiles inside the building were moving and I'm, I'm like all right but we got, and everybody's masked up so I'm like, we gotta get the hell downstairs inside the warehouse, behind, you know, behind some sort of structural wall. To you know, we can't be up here on the top floor. So we heard everybody down to our showroom at the time, which was kind of our emergency gathering space, which we realized pretty quickly was filled with glass on the west side. Of the building. <laughs> we're like, these things start moving, and pretty soon we're like, we get okay, we can get out of here. We went back around the corner, and as we were moving. The, the windows started to blow in oh, uh, into the showroom. Actually, it was office space at the time. <coughs> Blowing through. We get everybody around inside the building, and it was literally probably four or five minutes later that uh, the door, one of the overhead doors popped open, hit a sprinkler head, the fire, the sprinklers are going off in the building, and then after all the pressure built up, the roof popped. And we lost about a third of our roof, and we're we're all downstairs. And we got some employees that are like wanting to go take you know videos of the 
rain coming in horizontal and uh, my wife Jerry was down there and all of a sudden if any of you know her she has a she's a very nice lady but yeah. <laughs> one of the one of our employees walked over to take a video and Jerry's like get your ass back over here <laughs> and there's and then another doors pop you know the overhead doors popping and they're flying you know they were hanging on the cables and just spinning oh, and, and so anyway fast forward we we had all the damage we walked up to reassess we're like oh yeah we're screwed and you're trying to call you know recovery you know like service master no but no, no phones are working got a hold of the insurance company they said call get anybody some guy showed up the next day from Chicago the storm chaser guy and and they had within two days or three days they had probably 65 workers to start cleanup and we spent you know about three and a half or four million dollars on rebuild and cleanup and remediation took us it took us one year from the date of the storm the good news was we were shipping product within three days of the storm blowing through what we could. Uh, and I remember standing at the table and you, know, you get these war room scenes, right? And you're standing there with your, your partners and Eric and our warehouse manager. And, and they're looking like, what, when, when do we think we can ship? And everybody's looking at each other. And I said, okay, let's just, let's be shipping in three days. And they looked at me like, you freaking nuts <laughs> I'm like, let's, let's just try it I mean we don't know and so we were running off generators and we were printing off I mean it was it was crazy it was a crazy time to do all this we had employees back in the office we had sheets of plastic hanging and portable air conditioners running and still COVID right and we're trying to work through this and it was hot and stinky but our employees kept coming into the office, which was cool. I mean, it really said a lot about our workforce to be willing to work in an environment like that because it was not sexy. There was nothing sexy about, I mean, our business isn't that sexy anyway, but <laughs> this made it less attractive. Hey, that polished stainless steel, I mean, come it on. It does. It's real nice when it's finished. Real nice. Yeah, that, that was that was a brutal that was a brutal time, and I think we talked. I mean, that was just wild. I, I still remember my mom asking people to still try to stay socially distant while we we're hud we we're huddling trying That's to avoid great. <laughs> Rachel ripping the roof off. Because she's just like, all right, stay six feet stay, apart. Stay, yeah. stay six feet apart. And I'm like, we're gonna be That's, dead before COVID ever kills us. That's what that employee that employee was socially distancing, right? That's when they were taking the video. So. That's right. Oh, funny. Yeah. Well, that's you know that just speaks to to the resiliency of of the the not just you guys the community as a whole. Yeah. I mean, just an, another um, what I feel like is is a story of mm -hmm. of again kind of who you guys are and that that atmosphere. Because let's be honest, I mean, employees coming in after something like that 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 just shows how much they sure. truly care about the company and about about you guys as as uh, as their employer. And right. That's, so. And that's this community too. I mean, it, yep. you know, this obviously Medco is helping put this on and and. Um, you know, I think there, we have a lot of employees that are, you know, Marion-based people, you know, that are, you know, Springville, you know, right, even Cedar Rapids too. We got all over this community. But the fact they all showed up, even though, the, you know, and we know that happened everywhere. There's stories of it everywhere. Employees that, hey, I know I don't need to do this, but we got to find a way out of this thing and, and get moving. There's a lot to be said about just the quality of the people that are in this community, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're, we're happy to be here. I mean, there's how, however many employees we're looking today, we're talking about, our, our median employee tenure is like five and a half years, you know, which is a big deal. We have two people at 30 years, one person's at 36. Wow. Um, 
multiples over 20 and and we're pretty lucky i mean that's that's a i was looking at the average stats like three right um so to be at a median of five and a half uh speaks volumes i think of one the leadership that you know my dad mom and my aunt and uncle had in the business because a lot of our people you know they hired when they right. started right and how many people even stay 30 years anymore at a business right. that's the other thing that's amazing but I think it speaks to the, the community and the type of people that you can find here. And, you know, so as other businesses say, okay, what, what do I do? Like, where do I go? There is a really amazing workforce of people that do want to be still here in their community. A lot of Marion people that work in that business that just love being here. And so we just provide a conduit for them to go to work every day and be amongst the community they love so much and, uh, and really have a positive impact on their lives and, and hopefully the lives of all the restaurants. In the community, too. of course, of course. That's good. Well, I know we're getting getting to time here, so I, I think you know, obviously, a, a ton of great um, advice, um, you know, lessons, etc. I mean, maybe as as far as looking looking to the future, I mean, what what do you guys? I mean, what do you see, Eric, as as kind of that that next vision for for Rapids um, here here in Marion, and as you guys have continued to to serve not not just your customers but like your great employees like like we've been talking about and even even Joe if you know the the vision you had 30 years ago as as Eric's now taken over I mean what's I mean what's it mean to you as you know as a dad and and a business owner too to kind of see see a, a next generation like this stepping up and and continuing your your legacy right uh, just kind of uh, to to wrap us up a couple comments there well i i mean like Eric said uh, excited for the future Partially because I'm not going to be a big part of it, <laughs> and I'll be doing other things. Uh, and, and also, honestly, you know, it does. It's, it gives you a lot of uh, comfort uh, to recognize that uh, the leadership team that uh, Eric assembled, and there were times I'm watching this process take place and uh, trying to uh, be still and not express all of my opinions <laughs> without thinking about them very thoroughly. Uh, but you know. At being three years into the EOS process, honestly, three years ago when we started it, I kind of looked and I'm like, man, I don't want to participate. <laughs> I really don't. But I did. we did, Joe and I both did very actively because we recognized that in order to get through this transition, we, we had no choice in this. And it became, it was quite, I mean, it's been fun. It's been exciting to watch, uh, watching new uh, leaders develop within the organization, uh, you know, partially from direction from Eric and myself and from Joe helping guide the way for these guys has been outstanding. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think these guys are on a good pathway forward. And uh, I always say they're, they're smarter and a hell of a lot younger than I am. So I, I think there's a great opportunity for them. <laughs> and, and so for us, specifically the business, you know, our, our industry is changing. There's, there's yep. a lot of options out there when it comes to e-commerce e makes it so easy, right? So Yes, we have our brick and mortar locations. We have one here. We have one in Minneapolis, St. Paul as well. Um, and those businesses are still important. We've realized that e-commerce can't solve everything yet, right? right? That the urgency is still there to say, hey, I've got to go pick this up today, or it's a huge piece of equipment. I've got to get this thing moved. A lot of what we sell is big stuff. So there's still a place for that, but it's going to continue to compress it. And AI is only going to make it more complicated, right? There's less and less people you may even need to say, hey, let me curate your options and what you need to do with specific piece of equipment. Right. Where it comes into a big part of our business and what we've been really leaning into is more about that piece that still remains really elusive. Ecom, again, is simple because you can get images up there, you can click, you can ship stuff out the door fast. 
but there's still a need where a lot of dealers, our entire industry is filled with companies um, that are at this transition point. They're family-owned businesses. There's still a lot of them that are out there. And their struggle will be is they just remained where they were, right? They, they kept doing the same thing over and over, but we can't do that. We have to transition into away from the street salesperson. The street salesperson will be beat by the internet all the time. Right. Whether If they're the most knowledgeable person in the world, that's awesome. They can't talk to as many people as a website can reach. It's just impossible to do it. So they're going to struggle because they can't sell at a price point that works. So where ours has to be is focused heavily on designing commercial kitchens and selling the equipment within them, managing the logistics to go into it, truly thinking about it like a subcontractor should on a project. We're not just a wholesaler of equipment. We want to design and build and outfit these spaces uh, for people because that's a place where you can still live and deliver a, a real unique product uh, as, as we grow. So while the company started as that direct mail piece, that piece of saying, hey, let's go buy a company that can design and provide these services was crucial to where we're at now. Mm -hmm. And then our next challenge is, okay, <clears throat> what is that next iteration that we start now that is going to have an impact you know, 15 years from now again? So we'll grow. We'll be good. Again, we've got what I do know is that our vision has us growing at a really good clip for the next 10 years. Yeah. And as long as we execute on the process that's in front of us, that we'll be able to do it. But I truly believe, I believe, and I know my dad would agree too, that it's, it's about the people. So the mm -hmm. biggest thing we need is great people to be a part of this team, that we can set the vision. We need them to knock out all of the logistics of getting that done. Um, so big things. We'll, yes. we'll, we'll be here for a while, we hope. Day, day by day, right? That's, yeah. that's how we do it nowadays for sure. Well, yeah. I, I, that's great. I we really appreciate you guys you know, stepping up today and, mm -hmm. and sharing the, the story. Um, and really uh, look forward, and I know I speak for everyone in this room, to, to see your guys' continued success right here in Marion. Um, and again, thank, thank you guys again. And uh, uh, the story of Rapids Wholesale. Thanks, thank you. Brady.